You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You're listening to What Won't We Say? We believe that we are better in community and that all people want to be known. That true authenticity can only be reached through honesty and vulnerability. This is a judgment-free zone and a shame-free space where individuality is encouraged and celebrated. We are your hosts, Sonia Mastic and Jen Kinney. Okay, so today we're welcoming to the podcast jazz musician Galen McKinney. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Welcome. So you're born and raised in Detroit. Yes. And your dad is the fabulous Harold McKinney. Yes. Jazz pianist. Mm-hmm. Your mom was Gwendolyn. Yes. And she was uh she was a fantastic well, she started her career career in uh opera. And then of course when she met my father, he sucked her into jazz. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> There's no going back from There's jazz. There's no going back. <laughs> <laughs> So there is a uh, street named after your father, correct? Yes. In Harmony Park? It's Yep. It's on the corner of uh, Randolph and Gratiot. Right underneath Randolph is his name. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I know that was a, a labor of love for you to get that all together and executed. Yes. Yes. And I, and, and I, I really appreciated, you know, the city of Detroit appreciating what, what he did, which was really in the 70s. He um, came up with the Scholastic Magazine which was a program for for the schools to teach jazz. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I was looking here on your bio um and with your father it says that he played with Billie Holiday, Jean Krupa and many others and that your mother was a fashion model. Yes. As well. As well. Yes. That's very interesting. Girl, she got some pictures, boys. Oh, I bet. Looking fabulous. I would love to see them. And then, so she was in productions like Carmen and Porgy and Bess. Yes, that's yes. amazing. Yes, yeah. She was. She had a really angelic voice, and I, I wish she would have lived long enough for me to record her. When I finally started recording, I wish I could have gotten her her vocals on recording. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she was. She's got a lot of cassette tapes because she always actually recorded herself. <laughs> so then there are recordings. Of yes. Her. Okay. Yes. Hmm. That gave me a thought. But go ahead. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> we were all with you on that. Uh huh. Uh huh. So then, when did you start playing drums? I started at the ripe age. I I usually count when I got my first drum kit, even though I probably didn't know what in the world I was doing. But I got my first drum kit at two. And that that happened because my mother said that I was constantly beating on her nice furniture, and uh, especially at dinner time when I had a knife and fork in my hand, I, I'd be beating on the table. And she's like, "Oh my god!" So, <laughs> so she got me. Uh, her her and dad got me a drum set, and uh, I remember saying, "Here, here, honey, beat on this." <laughs> I, I mean, too. Why did she wait so long? I mean, she waited a long time to hear that set. <laughs> You're almost out of the womb. She's like, "Here's a set." Yeah. You know, and, and she says she she says that I was very busy even when I was pregnant. I was always moving around. And um, my father told me a really great story about one day that you know how couples they you know they spoon. So mm-hmm. he was laying up; his back was against her stomach when she was pregnant, and so he felt kept feel, feeling his tapping. And so he woke up, Gwen, Gwen, what 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 you want, Gwen? And she didn't answer, so he <laughs> kind of dri- drifted back <laughs> off to sleep. And it happened again. He said, Gwen, wake up, Gwen. And she said, what? Well, he said, what do you want? She said, what do you mean? He said, you're tapping me. She said, that's not me. That's the baby. <laughs> that's... <laughs> so, so apparently. <laughs> so so were you tapping on a triplet or a 6-8 field? Was, was there actually real time signatures going on? I have no idea, but apparently I was I was pretty busy. So You, you were the first in utero, the first version of Take 5? Right. What... <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Just the original credit, the the baby in the womb. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. So, what a surreal life it must have been growing up, the way you did, uh, where where you have all these. I mean, t- tell the listeners some of the people that hung out with your father and in your house, because I know the stories. Like we've yes. we've drank over stories many times, <laughs> yes. but. Uh, but uh, you know, both of us being drummers and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it, I, I'm sure it had to feel normal to you, but to everyone else. Well, you know, let's, let's just talk about the way I used to wake up every morning. Um, what, what I woke up to, my, my alarm clock in the morning was uh, my mother in the kitchen going, Oh, this is the, 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 oh
<laughs> and then my father was bim ding 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 and so it was like these two distinctly different musics going on when I woke up in the morning and it, it was quite 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 amazing and then um after you know after after breakfast daddy usually had rehearsals so um he you know Marcus Belgrave Wendell Harrison all those guys wow. would come through the house but the most the most uh significant well everybody was significant but the most significant as far as my my playing style two two people one was a Detroit drummer named George Davison um I sat under his feet from the time I was five years old and he really close to him. You know, child has children have no sense of personal space. So <laughs> yeah, you, you still don't know. for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Just being clear on that. Dalen so, will hug you. Yes, I will. I will hug you. I am a hugger. <laughs> so I would sit, you know, right next to his hi hat foot, like extremely close. And he said he was always worried that my nose was going to get caught up in the hi hat. That's how close <laughs> I was. <laughs> but I couldn't help it. I was I was so interested in the drums. I wanted to see everything he was doing up close and personal. I wanted to see what his feet were doing, how the pedals work. So he, I got a lot of uh, style from him, a lot of style from a drummer named Danny Spencer who came through the house. He no longer lives here. He lives in Cali. And um, a, a drummer named Alan uh, who passed away when I was about, uh, uh, he was about, must have been about six or so. But m- the most significant I shouldn't say the most, but he really had a strong impact on my playing uh, when he came through the house. And this guy I had never seen before. He wasn't one of my dad's regular drummers. Um, he was tall and slim, and I'm looking at him like, wow, who is this guy? And then I noticed his stick bag. Oh, he has a stick bag. <laughs> <laughs> so professional. Ooh. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm, I'm 10 years old looking at this stick bag. And so, of course, again, he sat down at, my, at, at the table. And of course, again, I have no sense of personal space at 10. So I sat real close, right up on his shoulder. And he opened up his stick bag, and I'm leaning in, I'm leaning in, looking at it. And he had these beautiful red drumsticks. And I looked at those Uh and went, oh my God. So I tapped him on his shoulder and I said, hey. And he looked at me at the corner of his eye. I said, can I have those? (laughs) (laughs) He said, he said, what? I said, can I have those? And he said, you want my sticks? I said, yes, yes, I want your sticks. He said, he chuckled, and he said, oh, okay. I'll tell you what, I'll give you my sticks, but you're going to listen to me first. And Mm. I said, hmm, all right, well, that sounds fair. Okay. So I sat there patiently. He said, all right, so you want to play the drums, huh? I said, yes. He said, okay, well, I want you to remember the melodies of every song. The wow. melodies. Wow. My face scrunched all up. I said, what do you mean the melodies? I'm I'm a drummer. Why do, why do I need to listen to the melodies? And so he said, if you listen to the melodies, it'll help you learn the song better. And when you take solos, people will know where you are. Okay. So now I'm sure he thought that went in one ear and out the other. And so after he said what he said, I sat there for another couple of seconds and I said, hey, can I have those sticks? <laughs> <laughs> so he chuckled. He, he let out a big hearty laugh. He, he gave me the sticks. He said, go on, girl, take these sticks. Get on out of here. <laughs> so I took the sticks and I played with them until they were a pile of toothpicks on the floor. Later on, fast forward seven years, I'm sitting with a buddy of mine who was also a drummer. And we were flipping. You know, now I'm starting to get into who are the players of jazz? Who's playing? Who's doing this stuff? Who's doing this stuff? And so... I'm flipping through this book, and we get to this one page, and I look at my friend. I said, oh, my God. And he said, what? I said, that's the guy. And he said, what do you mean? What what guy? What did he do? This guy right here. I said, this guy gave me drumsticks when I was 10 years old. Oh, no, get out of here. (laughs) I didn't give you any drumsticks. I said, no, I'm telling you, this guy gave me drumsticks. And so... The the guy was Max Roach. <laughs> Stop it. Wow. Yeah. So that... just just for all the listeners, if you hang out, you'll get a jazz master class every time you hang out with Galen. So Wow, that is amazing. I've never heard this story. Yeah, it was that was Max Roach and and just to add a footnote to the story, uh about uh maybe another twenty years later, um I 
Straight Ahead had was signed to Atlantic Records, and we ended up opening for Max Roach at the, which is now the Fillmore Theater. Wow! And doing sound check, you know, he was he was standing over there, you know, looking at looking at us, and I was like, oh my god, that's that's him. So I walked up to him after our sound check, and I said. I know you don't remember me. It was, we were talking years ago. But, you know, and he said, he cut me off. He said, oh, I know who you are. Oh. And I said, you do? He said, yeah. You that little girl that took my drumsticks. <laughs> <laughs> You're Harold McKinney's daughter. I know who you are. I said, you remember that? He said, oh, I, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, well, I, I just want you to know that what you told me did not wasn't in vain. It, it it stuck in my head like glue, and it is an integral part of the way I play drums and the way I learn music is I remember the melodies of a lot of different songs. Right. And he just said one thing, good. Wow. That's <laughs> what, what an amazing gift. Yeah, that was that was truly a gift from him, and I and I do pass that along to to my little students too. Is you know try to when you're trying to learn a song, think about the melody that that'll help you kind of get it ingrained in your head, you know. And if you think about it, that is, to me, like, I being a drummer, you would think that I love watching drum solos, and I hate it because there's, <laughs> there's no melody. No, no, one, no one plays melodically. And so um, I... Well, the fact that you know that makes you a melodic drummer, too. Right. It, but it's the thing of, like, you know, uh, having no reference to even tonality when, when, when you're playing solos is really uh, exhaustingly boring to me. It's so tedious. And it's just like, I jokingly, I'll just say what I want to say because it's my podcast. It's musical <laughs> masturbation. The only one that's enjoying it is the person that's playing it. And everyone else is like, hurry it up. Hurry. And you think because we all play the same instrument, I'm like, oh, finally, a drum solo. I'm like, I'm, I'm like the joke that they make about bass solos. They're like, no, no bass solo, you know. <laughs> I, when I hear a drum solo coming up, I'm like, oh, sweet baby Jesus, please don't make me sit through this solo. And I'm sorry for all you drummers out there that I lied about how much I enjoyed the solo. <laughs> oh, they know the truth now. Yeah. If, you, if you don't play with any melody, I didn't enjoy it. If there was no, there's no melody in it, that I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, because, I, I, you know, the thing about that, too, is just like, you know, when horn players, get, I'm going to tell you something about horn players, too. I don't like when a horn player just run, plays a bunch of notes. Are they the Mariah Carey of trumpet? You want them to pick a note and park it? Pick a note and park it. I don't need to just pick a note and park it. But you know, I like I like I like to hear composition in yeah. solos. You yeah. know, I, I like for a horn player to you know. Bam, you know, yeah. <laughs> I like to hear some composition, like you're speaking to me, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that's the uh, blues is a great example. Three notes, three notes, and you can just tear the house down. Man, you know? that is the truth. I mean, you can, you can just, it just, it's you just how you use those notes. Take BB King for example. Mm -hmm. I was gonna he, say that. Yeah, he sit up there. <laughs> one note, right, right. <laughs> just one note vibrato. <laughs> Like, and you could just feel yeah. all the emotion in it, you know. You would, yeah. you would think you'd be bored, but you're not. You're not. It's very good. Yeah. Very good. Yes. So then this sort of propels us. You mentioned straight ahead opening up for Max, mm -hmm. um, like like first name basis. You know, me and Max were buddies. <laughs> uh, Max Roach. So tell the listeners a little bit about Straight Ahead because this has been the longest your longest musical relationship. Yep. Um, straight Ahead. Was was started by a woman named Mickey Braden, um, and it, it started because <laughs> it started because uh, she was trying to get a band to play at Bert's place on Monday night, which is a horrible night. Um, that's when Bert's was on Jefferson. <laughs> I was saying they're still trying to get people to play on Monday night. <laughs> Holy moly, it's a horrible, horrible. Hey I don't even think they open on Monday now. <laughs> no reason to be. No reason to be. <laughs> but um, so she so she she was frustrated because I guess. You know, the male musicians were, a lot of the male musicians either didn't want to do it or they were just busy. So she she contacted uh, Marion and Alina and I. And I had seen Marion. Uh, Hayden. Marion Hayden. Yeah, Marion Hayden. I had seen her playing. I was like, oh, I hope I get to play with her one day. And, I, you know, I, I, I saw Alina and I actually played with her because my mother um, hired her to play. And I played with her together. We all played together at one point for a minute. And uh, so she called us up and said, look, I got this gig on Monday nights and 
you know, I'm wondering if you would like to do it with me. So we all were like, oh, yeah, cool. And I'm like, oh, I get to play with Marion. <laughs> no kidding. So, <laughs> so lucky. Oh, my God. I was so happy about that. And so we started our little Monday night at Burt's. And the first time we did it, I think there may have been man, maybe two people in the audience. It was really... Thank you, Tables and Ashtrays. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much, Tables and Ashtrays. So by the end of the month, though, I guess word had gotten out that there was this all-female jazz group playing at uh, Burt's. And so it's, it was like a progression. As, as the month went on, more, we started seeing more and more people. And I would say by the end of two months, we had a line going outside the door. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> there were, you know, there was this fascination about, oh, my God, it's an all-female band, you know. Their, their vaginas don't get in their way of playing. It's so confusing. Let's go look at this anomaly. Do they play with their vaginas? I'm not understanding this. Let's all go watch. And, and they're actually playing jazz well. Okay. Oh, my right. goodness. Right. <laughs> yeah, so... So that yeah, so so that began straight ahead's uh, began uh, straight ahead's journey, and from there we started uh, doing things. We did Alvin's and we put on our own shows at Alvin's, which uh, became very successful. And then we got the big the big Dundata in '88 when we played at the which, which what was then the Montreux Jazz mm. Festival. Wow, wow! And uh, we did that, and then we went through a little change because Mickey Braden. Um, was was starting to do musical praise, plays like uh, she did uh, Lady Day Emerson's Byron Grill that used to play here in Detroit, mm-hmm. um, and then she and her and my father actually did that one, and then she ended up moving to New York, and so when that happened, um, we ended up, you know, saying okay, well we're just gonna keep going. Meanwhile, Regina Carter, she who had been wow. living in Germany, moved back to Detroit. And we, we approached her and said, hey, you want to come hang out and play with us and stuff? And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, yeah, sure. And so that began uh, the journey with her. And then uh, Sylvia Moy, who uh, owned Masterpiece Studios, she had been hearing about us. She's the lady that wrote My Sharia Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. She uh, had heard about us. Uh, now it's in my head. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> now you can't get out your head. Um my Sharia <laughs> You guys can't see this, but they're dancing in their chairs. I, I was doing my best, Stevie. That's all right. <laughs> so uh, in 91, we, we actually, before now this actually just happened before, Sylvia. In 91, we were ended up being a part of an exchange between Switzerland and Detroit. And so musical exchange students. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kind of like that. So somebody from Switzerland came and played at our festival and we went and played at the the, the Montreux Festival in Switzerland. Wow. And so we were supposed to really just be playing in this club. And so we were rehearsing inside this this hotel. And I, I still to this day don't know who it was that heard us. But the next thing I know we were getting a message from Claude Knobs, who was the director of the, of the festival at the time. He just passed recently, too. Um, he said, you know, uh, we, heard, we heard about you rehearsing, and we're going to actually put you on the main stage. And we were like, what? Wow. <laughs> and he was, the, he was like, yeah, yeah you're going to open up for uh, Oferhausen and Nina Simone. What? Wow. <gasps> So, needless to say, terror struck us all. I was going to say, did you did you just immediately start sweating profusely? Just like spitting, like out of all pores. I know, yeah. It was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. So, uh, <laughs> so we the night the night came along, and uh, actually b- before the night came along, um, we ended up going to a barbecue or, or outdoor function with Claude Knobs. And lo and behold, Nina Simone was there. <laughs> and so just I, your typical Monday night. Right? Oh my Seriously. gosh. A little Barbie. Oh. Nina Simone. Oh man. So I, she was she was chilling in this lounge chair and she looked really stern and like she had a lot on her mind, but I didn't let that stop me. <laughs> so I went over there and I, you know, calmly sat next to her and just kinda Sat there for a minute before I just dove in, you know, I just <laughs> sat there and I, I looked over at her. I said, I said, hi, I, I, I just want to tell you that, you know, I, I'm a big admirer of your music. I, I think you are a phenomenal woman and have has have really get, given a lot of messages and spread the word about everything that is going on in this yeah. world. And 
And she was all stern and she looked at me and she said, hmm, well, hi. <laughs> wow. And I, and I, she, I said, well, I said to myself, well, she did say hi. Right. <laughs> and that was it. So I said, okay, well, nice talking to you. Right. Saving face. <laughs> okay. And, and that was the, the only interaction I had with her until we, you know, we opened for her. And that was the most frightening thing ever because when we walked out on that stage, the guy says, all right, we're going to uh, introduce you to Straight Ahead. <laughs> so we walked out there. I wish I, I'm, one of these days I'm going to show you the, what we had on. It was hilarious. Oh, I, that, was, I, that I want that, to see. That was during the Madonna days. Can, can, so, we, can we get a photo and post it on the podcast? <laughs> if I can, the if listeners I, wanted to see if, it. If, if, I'm going to find it because, girl. Give us an idea. <laughs> well, we, you know, I told you this, this was the Madonna days. Right. So we had on a tutu. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> With some leotards. Like a virgin. <laughs> It was awesome. Two toot for the very first time. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have like the the, the lace in the hair, the lace ribbon bows? Some of us did. I love it. Oh, yeah. I'm picturing Marion Marion in a tutu right now. And girl, I got to, I'm going to have to, I got to find it. But, but if not, I'll have to see if I can put, because we have a video and I'll have to see of that night. So I have to see if I can take a still or something of that, that video. But, uh, so we walk out terrified. Everybody's standing. There's no, nobody, nobody's sitting. They're all standing. And they're just like, yeah. Deadpan staring. So we're like, all right then. Well, <laughs> so we started out with uh, our, our little funky, little weird version of impressions. And let's just say by the, by the end of the performance, uh, when we hit that last note, there was a, a moment of silence. And then it, the crowd just erupted. Nice. And they were stopping. Oh. <laughs> and Claude Niles came back out. And he was trying to say, okay, uh, okay, okay, okay. And he was <laughs> <laughs> trying to say something. He was saying something first, like, you know, they will be, they will be in, the, uh, in the club later. Uh, we, you must. You, <laughs> and it was. I mean, trying to was, get him to sit down and yeah, calm down. Yeah, calm yeah. down, man. It went, and I, I, it was really a gratifying moment. Um, it, that that applause lasted for a good five minutes, wow. and uh, we left that stage. Took a deep breath. And went, whoo! All right, we made it through that. You know, those are the, those are the the like the shows that you dream for, but are the worst when when people are, can like just look you in the eye and they're real music lovers yeah they're, they're not there to drink they're not there to party yeah and they're just I, I i mean i you can feel your heart in your mouth you're oh. like i've wanted this and yet it's my worst dream right? life. Yeah, like, this is horrible like, no. i can see their pupils this isn't good this is not what it should be no, right? this is not good at all i'm telling you boy that was that was terrifying but it, you know so out of that we you know that was i also met at that that time which i do have a picture that i've posted on facebook i met dizzy gillespie Oh. And uh, and and he was he was now, now you're just name dropping oh. now you're just showing up. So this, this was this was a funny thing too because him and Steve Teray, uh, we were all backstage talking, and Dizzy walked up and he was he's eating these peanuts, and he's eating them, and uh, and I said, oh, you know, I was like, hey Dizzy, blah blah blah, you know, and uh, so he he said, let's take a picture. So we all, you know, wrapped our arms, and he's still eating his pen, peanut. And he said, <laughs> he said, hey, would you like a peanut? <laughs> You're like, I'm good. I was like, I, I bust out loud. I said, no, thank you, I'm good. And that that's when the, the photographer snapped the picture. You could see us, we, the way we looked, we were all cracking up. <laughs> would you like a peanut? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Steve was like, saw peanuts, saw peanuts. <laughs> So would you say then that the, is that, give us some of your favorite gigs. I mean, Mantra had to be like. Mantra was the favorite. I met, because I'm going to tell you, I met Steve Gadd. I met Al Jarreau. I met Dizzy Glassby. I met all these people. You met Steve Gadd, but Steve doesn't remember meeting you or anyone else for nah. about 15 more years. <laughs> he doesn't. He, he, I know he doesn't remember me because that was that's the only time I ever met him. You I was, know? I, I, he doesn't remember anyone that he met 47 times. <laughs> Steve had a hard road during those years and he's clean now, but. Oh, yeah. Steve doesn't remember a lot of a lot of his life. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I certainly know he wouldn't remember me because we 
we had we had a little small conversation and everything. He won't he won't remember that though. And and Al Jarreau was it was weird. He was I don't know if he was going through something at the time, but you know I I was telling him you know uh, you know that I, he said you you're a musician. I said yeah, I, I love doing this. And he was very almost discouraging at the yeah. time. You know it, I don't know if he was angry about something, and uh, but he, I I just remember him being real kind of discouraging. I was and I said I remember saying to him, well that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's from some people I remember reading like articles in modern drama for uh, of famous drummers and like you know my advice they ask like what what's your advice to up and coming drummers get a day job. Hey, thanks for being a jerk. Thanks yeah. for th- I'm glad I spent five bucks on this magazine for you to be a jerk. You yeah. know, like yeah, but, yeah. Hmm. I What's mean, behind that? You think? Oh. I, I think some of it is frustration uh, because being a musician, straight up musician, is difficult. Yeah. I mean, we all. I, I do. I teach. I, I you know I do teach. I do artists and residencies um, because. Because you gotta eat, you gotta eat. You know <laughs> what I mean. And musician, being a, a straight up musician, unless you're somebody like, I don't know, Kenny G or Dennis Chambers, or unless you're unless you're really lucky though, because this is the thing. And and I say this, uh, um, without bias, honestly, that <clears throat> I, I I introduced myself to you at the Dirty Dog Jazz Cafe. It's the first time we ever met, and yeah. um, everyone in Straight Ahead, and it was it was some variation of Straight Ahead that was playing there, are literally some of the highest caliber world-class musicians around and the thing that makes you guys so amazing is how how absolutely effortless you make it look oh and it's so what you're doing is so hard and so complex and so it isn't it isn't the caliber of musicianships that gets you you know where, where you can just do the gig it really is a lot of luck um there was an interview with michael buble the other day on tv and um, they were interviewing him about his success, and and they're like, "What do you attribute it to?" And he said, "I'm the luckiest guy on earth." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Well, I think you're short selling yourself." He was on Good Morning America. They're like, "I think you know you also have a good voice." He's like, "So does every person that steps on the stage at American Idol." Mm. I love I loved his humility. He's yeah. like, "I am just the luckiest guy on earth." And and it, and that saying of of is not what you know is who you know. Oh boy, that's very true. Yeah. That's so. True, and then how you work, <laughs> who you know, yeah, and how you and how you work, do you know? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna give a, a blast out to Mr. Ralph Armstrong because he uh, he is the reason why. Well, first of all, I'm I'm gonna just say this: there was there was a time in my life I'm thinking to myself, why don't I get? You know, people call me for all the the little local stuff and you know those kind of things, but why am I not getting calls? for the bigger things you know like you know Shaka Khan comes they call the the, the cats like Ron Otis who's I'm not taking nothing away from him he's he's the bomb that boy is great okay mm-hmm. um but they always call him or or uh who else is who else was back then I can't think of who else but it was it was a bunch of cats that they used to call I'm like how come I don't get those calls so then I started doubting, doubting myself huh? well maybe I'm just not as good as I thought I was I mean you know I, I'm never thinking that I'm good but I thought I was decent enough to do some some of this stuff you know right and I said well maybe I'm just not that good you know please and, <laughs> that's really that's really where please. I was that's what I was thinking you know because I, I never got those kind of calls and so Ralph Armstrong who the first time he gave me something major was he called? Um, he called me to say, "Hey, you want to do this gig with Shaka Khan?" I said, "Huh?" He said, "Yeah." You're Shaka- like, I- "I've got to wash my hair. I'm good. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't need. I don't need that. I don't need that kind of exposure. I'm good." Oh my god! I was like, he's like, uh, he said, "Yeah." It's that, he said, "You can read, right?" I said, "Well, yeah. I, you know, I did a lot of reading in, in college." He was like, "Yeah. Well, I I got this gig, uh, and the HB is the music director, and so it's for Aretha Franklin's birthday party." I was so all this at once. I was like, "Oh, okay." And so he, you know, wow. he, that was the first thing he got me. And he's really been blessing me with stuff ever since then. He's the reason why I hooked up with Benny Golson. He's the reason why I hooked up with Aretha Franklin. He's the reason why I ended up playing with Roy Ayers. I mean, it's just the, awesome. the list goes. And you know, he's tireless. He he works so hard. Mm-hmm. And he's he's such a good guy. Mm-hmm. He's a really good guy. Yeah. And, but check this out. You know what he said to me, though? You know, and and I you know I I don't, I don't want to I, I hate to even rat him out this talk way. out of class <laughs> talking about school is that what you're doing? <laughs> he said 
Well, you know, I don't know what's wrong with these guys. You can play. I don't know. You know, they always on this other tip about you being a a, a woman and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. I don't understand it. You can play. That's why they should be calling you. And I was, I was, I was floored. And I thought about that all these years. I thought, well, maybe it's just me. And all this time, it was because of my gender. I was mm. like, I was disgusted. And I was, I thought these are people who I. I know and love, and they they actually never th- gave me the clue that they felt this way, and so it it was kind of it was kind of painful to learn that. That's a and that's a tough you know that's a tough road. Both of us being female musicians, it is a uh, it's just such bullshit. It's, it su- really it's such is. discrimination for no reason whatsoever, and and you can work three times as hard and not still get the same gigs that men get. To this I day, I mean, I, I just went to Guitar Center not that long ago, only because it's closer to my house and I needed something in a pinch. And uh, you know, and the guy there, even in this day and age, asked me, you know, if I was getting it for my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wow. like, wow. <sighs> and how old is I know. he? Forty. Oh, okay. Like I just old, old enough like to know this, better. No. Yeah. yeah tw- no, no, no. That's that's an age where they don't know better. That's true, right? I mean, but you figure at forty, you've seen enough where you've actually seen female drummers. Yeah. And I mean, especially today. Well, I'm curious about this. So, given the fact that not only are you women in music, you're women in drumming specifically. Mm-hmm. True. W- like, what's the breakdown in terms of the um, the number of women who are drummers? Now, yeah, or when well, Sonya, you're a little younger than I am, but not much. But but I appreciate when, that though, <laughs> right? When we were growing up, holy yeah. moly, it was probably none. <laughs> it was close to none with me too. Oh man, I, I, the and a matter of fact, the only reason why I even continued to play the drums was because because my father came back from New York and told me about another eight year old. I was ten at the time, and I was seriously going to quit. Yeah. So I'm tired. so over you right now. <laughs> I'm so over this nonsense. I was ten. Why I decided to quit when I was ten? Oh, I was I, seriously because I was yeah. I was my my daddy's peers weren't giving me a problem. They were supportive, but my peers, people my age, this little girl said, "Yeah, I heard you play the drums," and I was like. Well, yeah, I, I do. With the, with the stank face. With a stank face. Okay, stank. <laughs> we well, need video on yeah. this podcast today, right? <laughs> drums are for boys. You shouldn't be playing the drums. And I was like, what do you mean? But I like playing the drums. And it was, it was. I was just tired of it. So I said, you know, I was playing saxophone too. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to play saxophone. I'm going to leave the drums alone. I was just mad. And that particular time, my father came back from New York and said, I saw another little girl playing the drums with Clark Terry wow. at eight. Wow. <laughs> and I said... I was eating mud at eight. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I was making mud pies in the driveway Jeez. at eight. Just be, just be clear on that. Oh, my God. Terry, okay, you know, Terry, well, she was in New York, so... And he said, and he said, and I said, what was her name? He said, Terry Lynn Carrington. <sighs> and that was all I needed. I was like, boom, let me go practice, because there's another girl playing the drum so i had two emotions one was of joy and like okay this is okay the other one was hey this is competition this is another girl <laughs> is it wrong though that i i, I have the, the biggest crush on terry lynn character I, I i had to wave myself i had to fan myself for a second when you said it strictly on drumming ability but oh sweet baby jesus she's amazing <laughs> yeah terry, is, terry is, sick. is sick and she's a, a wonderful composer too I, it's like that should not be human the, the ability that comes out of terry so that's that's a really good story so how many female drummers are there that you guys ran into you know on the road and touring and did you really see many not 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 yeah. before mm-hmm. i mean the, the only drummers that i knew about at first was Terry Lynn Carrington, Cindy Blackman, and then of course later Sheila E. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, those were the only three. Those were the only ones I knew about at at the time, and I didn't know about Cindy or uh, or, or uh, Sheila until later. You know, yeah. sure. but but yeah, eighty late eighties. Yeah. yeah. So that you know, it was it was a lonely road. You know, too so bad I didn't know her back then. What kept you? <laughs> so what kept you going then? Beyond this ten year old who decided that's you know I've got this competition now. Just the love of it. You can't I you can't do anything drumming. else. Yeah, yeah, you can't. You I, know. I loved it. I, lo- I loved it. And and now of course you know there's female drummers everywhere. I mean Beyonce had a killing all female band. Yeah, you know that band was good. Oh, they. Phew. 
and uh and 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 I, when I'm on Facebook, there's uh I sometimes when I do or or, or Instagram, I hashtag female drummers. There's like a few hundred thousand posts of female drummers. Yeah. Awesome. So it's it's much better now. But yeah. it's believe it or not, though, even with all that, it's still a commodity to people like where right. you know especially with men they just you know yeah and so it is it is like this it was always this frustrating thing where it was it was very threatening mm-hmm. and so it was not only just that there weren't a lot of women doing it but but it was very threatening to a lot of men and they were very assertive you know what i'd it. like to know hmm. what did men think about the sweethearts of rhythms because that was back in the 40s yeah mm-hmm. or even karen carpenter or karen carpenter yeah. you know the sweethearts of rhythm was this big band that existed in the 40s of all female mm-hmm. um and I, I i was i'm amazed that they existed and i'm trying to figure out and they were really good too and i'm just trying to figure out what did men think about them back then but if you think about like there was some culture in the 40s 50s 60s and 70s before before like the the you know the women's lib movement in the 70s let's say there was a culture where it was okay to 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 be that way to women mm-hmm. but in the 80s you would think you know the the common dialogue was that we're kind of progressing as a, as a country. Mm-hmm. And, and so, it, but that wasn't the case. It, it no. wasn't, it wasn't true at all. And no. so it was just like this, this, this real aggression and real fear of women coming out of the kitchen, you know, even in the eighties, like to play instruments and stuff. I'm like, Oh my God. That's what it really yourself. is about though. That's right? really what she, what she just right. said. That's really what the whole thing was about yeah. that where you're supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this. That's what the really issue was. They didn't feel like, women were supposed to be doing we're supposed to be you know at home and you know being the dutiful wife and docile you know yeah and it able is, to yeah. be controlled it was it, too aggressive yeah. and it know? isn't even like taking jobs because it's the same argument and we could go down a rabbit hole which we won't we will because we're gonna have you back again it was just yeah. this weird you know aggressive thing but we could go down that forever but we want to kind of step ahead here and mm-hmm. talk about so the last um significant um meaning like most notable gig that you had was as Aretha Franklin's drummer for the last couple of years yes. until her uh, until her unfortunate passing. Um, so can you talk a little bit about playing with Miss Franklin and, and what that was like? And Because the idea that I kind of want to get at is that this is a national treasure. And, and you, a Detroit treasure, and too. And a Detroit right? treasure, because she, she didn't go move to, to... Well, she probably... I think she did live out of the... She was in L.A. Detroit for a while, I think. While. Yeah. But she, she came right back to Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I love about her... She always employed Detroit musicians. You know, a lot of people leave or or get famous, and they never hire. They hire all California musicians or New York musicians. They don't really get Detroit musicians. She hired Detroit musicians always. She always had somebody from Detroit. I didn't know that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I I appreciated that about her. Plus, she you know she does some charity work here, and as far as uh, like um, feeding, like she would do a kitchen what is that soup kitchen kind yeah. of thing yeah for the homeless yeah but tell me though i want to i want to dig a little bit about because there'll be a lot of musicians listening to this is um the thing that made playing with aretha so different i think for you and you and i you know we sat and talked about it is not only that you know she's incredibly famous you've played mm-hmm. with a lot of famous people but she is famous in the pop and r&b world right so, so now here comes the journey that now now my first journey down that 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 uh R&B road or actually it was a rap road (laughs) was when I was in Atlanta and I ended up playing for speech uh, from Arrested Development. By the way, this made Jen so happy when we read this in your bio. I did. I was very happy. (laughs) That was my first introduction to that because that was so different from me. You know, um, you know, you think you think you're well versed in everything until you actually have to sit down and play. (laughs) And then you realize, oh, I'm not as real versed as I thought I was. So I learned a lot from that experience. But with Aretha, um, coming from the jazz world, and it, and it was funny because me and the bass player from Speech, uh, he we taught each other because I told him, I said, you know, in jazz, we kind of tend to sit on, on top of the beat. I said, and he was telling me, well, you know, in rap, we sit like way behind, beat, way behind, know? yeah. So that was a nice interchange we had. And so going to R&B uh, with Miss Franklin is that, Coming from jazz, uh, it really was an adjustment for me to to sit on that pocket. I mean, I was playing the pocket, but I wasn't sitting on it. You know, that sitting on it means it's just you just just 
right in the groove. You know, there's there's no there's no antsiness. It's just yeah, there's no expediency to it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and and so I had to. That was a big adjustment for me uh, coming coming off the jazz thing. Uh, even even as far as playing uh, the the rhythms, like for example, um, what was that? Chain, uh, chain, ch- 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 Yeah, I remember you and I talking about that chain of fools. Yeah. yeah. So so the bass player uh, who was playing at that time was Volley, solid, you know, just in the pocket bass player. So I'm coming at it, you know, I was coming at it, doing that, doing, you know, you know, I was coming, and he's like, no, he's you're like, all busy with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not even necessarily busy, but my foot was, you know, like. I was playing on like, you know, I was on yeah, the upside yeah. of it. He said, "No, just hit you it on the down. It down yeah. yeah, you know, doom, got, doom, doom, got, doom, doom. You know, just you know yeah. that way. And and he and and when he to- or on the floor, yeah. When he <laughs> and when he told me that, not only did I, I lock in better with him, but it just it just it did. It made it a lot more groovier, you know, because it, it was just solid, boom, that. <laughs> you know, and it was like, woo, yeah, yeah, that feel good. <laughs> it, it, it is an interesting thing that, like, je- I, I joke to, to like really take a, a very minimalist, you know, superficial look at it. Is that jazz players play their drum set all up top, mm-hmm. and, and and rock and pop drummers play all on bottom. Mm, so yes. it's like it's like driven by the kick drum, yes. or you know, because we're not we're not you know I'm I'm a rock drummer. We're not playing triplet feel, you know, <laughs> on the ride. You know, like yeah. we're 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 locking right in the pocket. So yeah, I joke that jazz is from the waist up and rock is from the waist down. That's right. <laughs> no, no, it's really true. It, that is the truth. That is absolutely the jazz. Truth. You're like, well, I'm playing jazz and rock. You're like, I'm playing rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because and it's true because it literally jazz the rhythm of uh, for jazz is all on the rise cymbal and the hi hat. That's the pulse of for jazz. You know, ting 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 ting. You know, the bass drum and the snare is just they're just used they're incidental, for, <laughs> incidental, right? <laughs> Whereas R and B and rock, you know, that's it's, the bottom is boom, you know, it's, it's snare drum and bass bass drum. You know, it's it's, it's not a, a lot a whole lot of tipping. <laughs> so so you, had a, she, you had quite a learning curve in a very high profile band. Yes, yes. And it, and it, and I really am grateful for that experience and I'm really grateful that she gave me that experience. You know, here here's a short little thing about her. She's actually been in and out of my life since I was I was 17 because the first time I ever met her <laughs> was my father again. You know the things you learn about your parents. Uh he said, "Yeah, uh Baby, we got a gig this weekend. I said, oh, okay, where is it at? He said, it's at Aretha Franklin's house. And I said, Dad, how do you know Aretha Franklin? And he said, oh, we we go way back. And I'm like, That's, you know, I just shrugged my shoulders. And that was the first time I met her. And I met uh, Carolyn, her sister, and Cecil, her brother. And and she was real cool. You know, every, you know she was sweetie pie. And then um, the next time I met her, was I got a call from her management to play at at the Detroit Jazz well Montreal Jazz Festival in two thousand four. She was doing two halves of a show. The first half was a jazz half because you know she started out as a jazz mm-hmm. singer. Oh, and the second half was her R and B show. Well, she called me to play the jazz half. I don't think she knew I was playing R and B, so yeah. she called me to do the jazz half. So I played that half of the show with her, and then her regular drummer Nate came and played the R and B stuff. So that was in two thousand four. And then, of course, you know, in 16 was when I got that. Now, that was funny. I'm driving. <laughs> I'm driving down Four Road. And the phone rang, and it said, no name. I was like, no know. answer. I ain't right, right. Right. Uh-huh. right. No answer to that phone. But this little birdie in the back of my head said, you should answer that. I was like, okay. And I picked up the phone. I said, hello. She said, Galen. I said, yeah. I sound like my mom. I said, yeah. And she said, this Aretha. And I was like, Aretha. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I guess by the silence, she knew that I didn't know who it was. She said, Aretha Franklin. You're like, so, you're like someone's punking me right now. <laughs> right, right. And I said, I said, she said, Aretha Franklin. I said, oh, I said, okay, I got to pull over. I got to, let me just pull over. Don't and not pass out driving. <laughs> I was like, I was, and so I had to immediately pull over so she could, and then she's, you know, okay, so I want you to come on the road, and I, I'm going to be doing these songs. I'm going to send you a list, and then um, we'll probably have one rehearsal at the Weston and Southfield, and, and then we're going to be doing this. I said, 
one rehearsal. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then. You're like, yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. That's right. right. Yes, ma'am. Because that's how she made you feel, you know. Right. And so, and then, so that's how that journey started. And the, the um, matriarch, you're like, mm-hmm. Yep. 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 That's why I never called her Aretha. I always no. called her Miss Franklin. Right. If she now, if she would have given me permission to call her Aretha. I would have called her, or if she would have said, I want you to call me Aretha, no problem. I, 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 I work in the music business. I worked for her many times, and there's not one time that I called her Aretha. We, we weren't that tight. <laughs> she didn't give you the air that we were that tight. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Franklin was as, was as warm and friendly as we were going to get. Yeah. And, girl, and let me tell you something. She, she, you know, she, she's a proud, proud and, and, and diva woman now because we had this guitar player playing with us. <laughs> And bless his heart, he was a sweetheart. But oh, I'm so glad you're telling this story. But you know, he, he's, and I, I just wondered. I said, now I know he's married. His wife should have schooled him on some things because he would say stuff like, for example, this this typical man stuff. Uh, so we, a couple of times we had dancers, uh, Lisa McCall's dancers. They were wonderful. And he would always be like, so how come you ain't out there with the dancers? Why don't you get on out there with the dancers? Oh. I would, you know, but I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get mad enough. I just kind of chuckled and laughed. I said, boy, because I'm playing the drums. That's why he would chuckle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Funny. So, <laughs> I'm too busy calculating how I'm going to punch you right in the junk. <laughs> That's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm busy with my calculations. So no one can see and you're wounded forever so you can't reproduce. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, so stuff like that. So, so. But but he was he was a nice guy. But he he I, I don't know his wife didn't school him well. So so he um this we played at the Tribeca Film Festival. This was a tribute to Clive Davis. And um, after the gig, she she was she looked beautiful. She had on a really nice dress and everything. Everything was was gorgeous. And I and I you know we back there. She you know she always she did pay us in cash. No, that is true. I know that bag under on the stage by her feet. Yeah, her and Chuck Thousands Berry. Thousands of dollars. Her and Chuck Berry. Thousands yeah. of dollars. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, crazy. And so, <laughs> but it's not crazy when you know the history. Well, yeah, of getting ripped yeah. off and yeah, and, oh, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's a reason. There's a reason. Oh you yeah. Know. Yeah. But uh, so she always paid us in cash. Now, a bit of more advice when you was working with her make sure you report that cash because you know you have a tendency as a musician well it's cash I don't have mm-hmm. to report <laughs> my her cousin told me uh, yeah yeah you should report that because <laughs> you will get you will get ganked if you don't so if the IRS is listening all of them filed all of them <laughs> all of their money appropriately That's there was right. nothing nothing taken under the table That's exactly right I made sure I reported that income so okay so so anyway, so she's looking beautiful, and he and the the, uh, the guitar player comes in, and after I had just complimented and told her how beautiful, she said thank you. We was talking. He came in, and he says, "Oh, you were you look beautiful," and she's smiling. I'm smiling. He says that should have been the end. Right. He says, "I think that's the best you ever looked." <laughs> and before I could even think, I went, mm, and she went, mm. <laughs> And she said, well, obviously you haven't been around me long enough. And I was like, oh, God. And I said, excuse me, exit stage left. (laughs) And so... On the but on the in the van on the way home, he lived in New York, so he didn't get on the van with us. We were all going back Mm. to the hotel. He went home, and and they we were in the van talking, and uh, and there was a moment of silence, and I said, well, y'all, I I don't I don't think we're gonna see my man on guitar no more. (laughs) And he said, everybody was like, what? Why? And I told him what he said. They all they broke in this erupt laughter and they was like oh no and 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 they was like that's it i know that's gonna be it sure enough two weeks later we had another gig perry hughes was on guitar mm-hmm. <laughs> one who knows to keep his mouth shut was on guitar <laughs> I, I love so so you and i went out uh to to lunch one day after um you had been with with uh miss franklin for some time and um, I love the way that you that that you said it because I've had lots of working experience with her at working for um, when I worked for Live Nation. Yes, uh, and so um, I know the drill. But I love that I love the way you said it. Is you said uh, I have I I've figured out this gift to be just visible enough and invisible all at the same time. <laughs> That's right. And I was like, that's, that's, right. that's, that's good for a lot of stuff, that's, actually. That's right. You know, I, I have I have short conversations with her, you know, and, and, and then when I feel like 
okay, that's enough. I'm out. <laughs> you know? right. She knows I'm still here. She knows I'm the drummer. That's, right. and that's all we need. That's all we need. You know how to read people. That's and an I, important thing. One more little footnote to my father. Um, and that, and she verifying the fact that they've known each other. She, we were talking about text one day, and she said, "I just, you know," she said, "You know, your father back in the day, he taught me some piano chords," and I, and I was like, "Oh my God!" So he did know her back in the day. <laughs> Dad wasn't lying to me. <laughs> he wasn't lying to me. Yeah, and she, she, one of my favorite songs to play with her was "Brand New Me," because she would not only sing the heck out of it, she would sit down and take this monstrous piano yeah. solo. Aww. It was so awesome. Yeah, she that, tore it up. Oh man, that was that was my that was my favorite song of hers to play with her. Yeah. But we just have a few minutes left. I want to give a little space for you to talk um just briefly about McKinfolk and what oh. what what the future is for you. Well, yes, I have just released a uh, a CD called McKinfolk the New Beginning, which is a product product of my father's music. It features some great folks on there, the late uh, uh, Marcus Belgrave, the late Jerry Allen, James Carter, Regina Carter, and the and the late Kevin Mahogany, along with Bracey Biggs, Mary Hayden, and, and a slew of other people, Ralph Armstrong. And um, it's a tribute to him and his music. I've done some rearrangements on his music and it's available for download on all the all the um the download sites, Amazon, Spotify. It's also available um on the Detroit musicfactory.com you can get a cd if you want a physical cd some people still do yeah my <laughs> husband me too yeah i'm with yeah, them yeah yeah so if you want a physical cd you can get get it there uh detroitmusicfactory.com or dearborn music or second baptist uh bookstore and uh get you can get it from there but it's you know it was a labor of love it took me a long time to do it and uh, I believe you would enjoy it. And there's a cute little tidbit of me and my father talking when I was nine years old. <laughs> yeah, that's really cute. <laughs> and uh, you know, go out and go out and support jazz because we need all the love and support that you can give us. Go see the music. Go get the CDs and the music. Downloading is cool too because we get a little tiny sense with that. <laughs> and do you have any regular gigs that you're at that people can see you? Yes, uh, I still do Burt's on Thursdays. Uh, every first Friday of the month. I'm at Bur- at Baker's with Ralph Armstrong. How, how did right I not know that? How me. did I not know that? I love Baker's. I'm like yeah. two minutes. I, mean, I love Burt's too, but I, uh, Baker's yeah. is two minutes from my house too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we do. I do that every first Friday with Ralph Armstrong. So those are two two my. That's the steady get. That's where I'm at steadily. It's first Friday at Baker's and every Thursday at Burt's. Awesome. Yeah. Well, man, it has been so much fun talking to you. Uh, thanks for having yeah. me, yeah. You, get, you, get, you guys, at the prom, you have to promise to come back again, and, and we, we want to talk to you about a lot of yes. other stuff. And, and uh, I mean, you have such an amazing career, such an amazing life, and such a legacy that you're leaving for jazz and for Detroit in general. I mean, you're a Detroiter, so uh, we would love to spend a little more time with you unpacking some stuff. And thank you. And I want to tell you, go see Sonya play some drums, too, because she's a bad girl. She's funky and funky and funky and wow. solid. Funky. I like it. Not just funky smelling, but funky playing. <laughs> yes. Good. For those of you who don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to What Won't We Say. 